Alright, uh, and that is all I want for Christmas. Hugh Jackson, apparently. All I want for Christmas is Hugh. Jimmy Haslam has made his decision. He is firing Sashi Brown. Welcome to the fourth installment of the 12 Pods of Jakemus. Uh, this is episode four. This week we have a very special guest. I know I say that every week, but uh, this is actually the first time we've ever spoken. So, you know, it's not like, you know, me buddying up or anything like that. Jake Burns of Waiting for Next Year. Jake, how's it going, man? Hey, it's great. Great. Glad to uh, glad to be on here with you. Yeah. So, um, very topical day. Uh, uh, two big Browns fans, you and I. Uh, listen, we kind of saw something coming. This is a 1-27 stretch out of the Cleveland Browns. What's the move? Was this the right move? Like, like it's, it's seeming like there's a lot of split decisions right now. And if Hugh should have gone instead... But Jimmy Haslam made up his mind. What, what can you tell me here? Yeah, I think that we all knew with with one and twenty seven and, and, and where things were heading that somebody was going to go. Um, you know, Twitter has been a landscape for people to go back and forth on who they think should go, and it's you know it's unfortunately been a pick aside territory. There's there's a little middle ground, as you know, but um, you know we knew it was coming. I don't think we knew it was coming this soon for either either Hugh or Sashi, but Sashi was the choice. Um, you know, that can be debated. I think there's a middle ground in all of this. I think there's there's fault on the front office. I think that there's some things they've missed. You can obviously look at the 2016 draft and, and passing on Wentz and, and Bosa and Elliott and all of those big names that were that were there at the top of the draft. But you can also look at it from the perspective of, hey, you know, they were trying to, uh, you know, gain as many assets as they can at the time. So there's, there's, there's both sides of things. You know, you look at the coaching side of things with Hugh Jackson. How much talent has he been allotted? Um, you know, there's plenty of negatives that you can look at, but, you know, how much talent has the man had? So there's there's battlegrounds that are that are that can be made and, and words that can be put together, narratives that can be put together on both sides of this whole thing. Um, you know, there's a middle ground here. I think that Jimmy probably thought he had to pick between one of the two, as as the reports have come out. The relationship has been hostile for the past month, in, in terms of literally not neither of those two speaking to each other. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say I enjoy seeing Sashi go. I thought he had done a pretty good job of asset allocation. Um, was there a big name yet? No, but everything he built pointed to 2018 giving us a big name. So I'm a little surprised. Um, I'm not surprised in the grand scheme of things. Maybe the better word is disappointed, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree with the disappointment as aspect. Um, the one thing that you point out was asset allocation. We knew that the big plan here was acquiring a lot of picks so that they could hit on a higher – or. If they're going to hit on 50%, it's better to have 14 picks than 7 picks, right? So, Sashi Brown did exactly what he said he was going to do. He said, we're acquiring a lot of picks, and he did, and he did that. And people are wondering, well, why are they still losing? The, we are rebuilding. Like, everybody knows, the Browns have been rebuilding for the last two years. 
It's the GM's job to get the personnel to build for the future. And I think it was going slower than a lot of people wanted. But I've been saying for like a year now, like it's going to go slow. It's the head coach's job to win games and it's the GM's job to acquire assets. And at the end of the day, I think 1-27 in isn't acceptable for a head coach or a GM, but at least the coach is supposed to be the one getting wins. And the Browns roster is better than 127. Yeah, yeah, no, I just I just pointed that out on Twitter. Is there is there a big difference between the Jets roster and the Browns roster? I can't find one. Yeah, so have uh, a little a little bit better play wide receiver, but where's the big difference? McCown's playing a little bit better quarterback. Well, that's ironic because he was in Cleveland the year prior. So mm-hmm. yeah, like like you said, I don't I don't know. I know that it's it's a fine line. These guys are supposed to. I say supposed to because I don't know. For for traditionally how the things work is these guys work hand in hand to build a roster. The Browns built the middle class. Even if they had hit on back to back first round picks, there'd only be two quote unquote superstars that they would have hit on. Is that enough? Don't you need more than that? They lead the groundwork with a really solid middle class. They think they have a superstar, and I think they have a superstar. And Miles Garrett is Larry Ogunjobi going to be a Pro Bowler? There's plenty of evidence to point to that someday. So I, I just don't think Jimmy gave it the time he needed to give it. It was supposed to be a five-year plan, four or five-year plan. He cut it short of even two. So that's yeah. where we're at. We're, yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I'm 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 with you there on Sashi needing more than two years. Like. If they were planning on stripping it down, you know, letting Mac go, Mitchell Schwartz go, those guys left right when, you know, Sasha Brown got the job and things looked like they were getting worse, and they were, but ever since that, like, I guess you'll call it, I don't know, like Black Wednesday or whatever, when all those guys left, he's done a good job of acquiring assets. He got Jamie Collins. People forget, they always look at the draft board that he got. Brian Body Calhoun's not going to show up on that draft board, but the guy's been like an excellent slot corner, and he's not getting the credit for that. He traded Ford Collins, and he doesn't get credit for that on the draft day, even though like if you're the Patriots, you always get credit for acquiring uh, players, like real NFL players, and Jamie Collins, you know, unfortunately got injured. I don't know. I just, I'm bummed. It seems, though, there are a lot of people right now, and I'm, I'm, I was getting ripped a little bit today, and I was, I was pretty heated, so I, you know, I was going to Twitter a lot, but, you know... Sashi was the fall guy, but could that have been like a plan going in and that, you know, hey, Hugh is here for the long term, the GM might not be, let's hire the Harvard guy to go get some picks, and then we'll hire the football guy to go make those picks? I know it sounds crazy and like that would be awful if that got out, but like, I I honestly think that could be Jimmy Haslam's plan. Yeah, no, there could, that could be. I mean, I hope nothing as nefarious as that has gone on. I mean, any kind of like behind the behind the back closed door deals like that that have been a, a fall guys of play, but you never know. That's the tough part for fans is we never know where to properly place the blame. Maybe Sashi Brown was really difficult to deal with in the backside of things. Right. Yeah. Maybe Hugh Jackson's the saint, and we don't know that. We don't know any of it except we just know what we're you know what we see in the public. So I, I don't I don't know. It's t- it's easy for us to sit here and place blame, and, and maybe Hugh Jackson is going to do you know a better job going forward with a little bit more input and a football guy at his, his disposal that he speaks the same language. I don't I don't know. I just from the outside looking in because that's all we can do. It just doesn't feel right to me the way things have been handled. You know, like I you, you know following what I do, but I break down every game, and I just I just don't leave feeling that that. that Hugh Jackson is giving them a better chance to win. Yeah. It just 
Yeah, I just don't. I don't get the vibe that he's helping their chances to win. Now is he working with an All Pro roster? No, you, you're blind if you're missing that. But there are little things, little nuances to things that he does that are just so poorly done. And like today, the presser, everybody saw it. You, you, yep. you told me before we came on, you were listening to it. He, he's trying to put the blame and not hiring an OC on the fact that he's taking blame, that he didn't want that guy to get fired or or be the fall guy if things were going right on offense because he knew they were going to be so bad. Like, what is that? Uh, it was it was, it was a, it was a mess. I was so, I was livid when people started tweeting that at me today. I like I was like, I cannot wait to hear this because I didn't think that was possible that a coach could say that. Because by not hiring an offensive coordinator, and I get what he's saying, like, oh, well, you guys will place blame on him. I'm like, well, that's what media does when your team is 1-27. They want answers because you can't be 1-27. But Hugh Jackson is a guy who points out to everyone, oh, we're not going to answer to what the media and the fans want. Jimmy Haslam has a plan in place. Jimmy Haslam has this. Jimmy's going to have to answer that. He always says that, yet when it came time for an offensive coordinator to come up, he goes, oh, well, you guys would want a fall guy. What what is that like? Yeah. You can't you can't have it both ways, Hugh. You can't say, oh, we don't answer the media, and then well, the media would have wanted me to fire an offensive coordinator. Newsflash: the offense would want you to hire an offensive coordinator. Us saying that we don't like have an offensive coordinator for the sole reason of oh, our roster isn't good enough. That just means you're not trying to win on offense. You're saying ah, it's so bad, it's not worth even going for. Yeah, and that's the thing that I find so ironic. It's a great point you just made. Is okay, what gives you the best chance to win as a head coach? It is balancing your time between what your team is doing offensively and defensively. If he is allocating even 70%, which I think is on the low end of what you would have to do to properly function as an offensive coordinator, on the low end, 70% of his time on the offense, that's 30% of the time he only gets to work with what Greg Williams is planning to do on the defensive side of things. So Greg doesn't have anybody who can balance out his ideas. So then we see Jabril Peppers playing the angel position mm-hmm. 30 yards off the ball then we see our linebackers perpetually struggling in coverage and play action issues we've gotten nothing out of Kirksey nothing out of Collins when he was healthy and, and it's just like okay so you're, you're, you're spending all of your time focusing on the offense because I've coached I get how that has to go and I was yeah. an offensive coordinator so I know how much time I had to put into actually watching film the necessary things finding trends this guy you can't fool us man hiring an offensive coordinator only helps your chances of winning you can work hand in hand with that OC and you can take a play call out of his hands but you're doing your team a disservice by saying hey I'm going to be the offensive coordinator as, as a guy who you can put blame on if things go wrong because I know things are going to go wrong that is just it's hypocritical it's insulting our intelligence thinking that we're going to buy that baloney it's just it's all the above that is so frustrating how can you look in the mirror at 1-27 and, and say I, I didn't need an OC because I was going to take this just it's wrong on so many levels it's it's awful because and i came in i was a huge jackson fan and i've been wanting stability ever since they brought in everybody at the same time in the winter of 2016 i was like all right for this to work we need stability right it's the one thing we haven't tried in all the years of being a browns fan the one thing we've been missing outside of quarterback is stability because it's always like okay you know, we fire the head coach. The new head coach is forced upon this young quarterback. Young quarterback struggles in second year of a new offense. Get rid of the quarterback. Now it's we bring in a rookie quarterback for the second year of the head coach. And it's like, it's just this wheel of of just misfortune almost. And 
So that's why I've been wanting stability, right? I've, I've been rooting for, I hope everything goes well. These I want the GM to be the guy that just keeps on picking up picks and Hugh to coach. But by not doing the offensive coordinator, not hiring an offensive coordinator, I, I just, I was so baffled that that was his reason. You're absolutely right with the time allocation. It's obvious that he's so much more focused on offense, yet it still seems like they're punting on offense, you know, pun intended there. And it's yeah. just like... I, I I was baffled, and I'm still baffled because I still think I like Hugh Jackson as a head coach. I really do. I think if we had a really good offensive coordinator to implement a plan, we have pieces in, in place. Like I really like some of the pieces we have on offense, and I think we're another, you know, if we drafted like a Calvin Ridley or someone atop round two and added a new running back instead of Crowell, I think there are pieces there in, that – uh, it's just it's just wildly frustrating because you can see what could work, and Hugh Jackson is ignoring it for the sole purpose of well, I didn't want there to be a fall guy. Like that's not a good enough reason. Yeah, and it's like the thing that and that's okay. So you look at Hugh Jackson and you say, okay, well, your counter to that would be well, there are plenty of coaches who call their own plays. Yes, that's true. The guys who are head coaches and call their own plays are making it work, or they're not in a current capacity as a head coach. Mm -hmm. And and guys like Andy Reid, who have been successful long-term when they're calling things and things don't go well, they do what they did last week, and they turn it back over to their offensive coordinator and say, hey, let's figure this out. At least he has an offensive coordinator. you know. So that's that's where a little bit of the problem is. And then you think, okay, like you're talking about moving forward as Hugh Jackson is just a head coach alone. I think that the only way that he is able to do that is being a head coach alone. I agree. I think he can be okay because I do think he, he has players to play hard for him and like him. So if he's focused on the things that are should be imperative to, to just being a head coach, time management things, situational football, adding your input to things that matter, which is what they should be doing, it can work for him. But he has to hire a young, bright offensive coordinator. Not necessarily young, but a guy who gets forward-thinking football that he can pair with this quarterback one they're going to take in the draft. But what kind of young, I mean, you're not going to get an established offensive coordinator in the NFL right now. Nobody who's had success. These, you're going to have to take a flyer on a young guy who's a positional coach right now, yeah. and they're going to say to themselves, do I want to go to Cleveland where I think Hugh Jackson already has one foot out the door by de facto of he's on thin ice anyway? I mean, it's quarter, you know, coaches want to work their way up the ladder. It's a linear process for them. You go from a position to a coordinator to a head coach. That's what their goal is. So you're going to tell me we're going to get somebody really, really good that's going to jump on board for a sinking ship? I just don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. And it's just... It's just another thing that Hugh has made more difficult for himself because by ignoring OC this long, it's not like waiting and waiting and waiting someone's going to pop up. Like Someone that pops up that, that is that good is going to get the Giants head coaching job or a new job that pops up. They're not going to take offensive coordinator for the 1-27 in 27 Browns. Like We know what we are. We know what's here. And another thing, before I don't want to like ignore it, you're talking about the Jets roster. I think the Jets game is the perfect example of what happened to to Hugh Jackson's offense. He put so much on Deshaun Kaiser, a rookie quarterback's shoulders in that game. That's something where an offensive coordinator, even just like a league average one, doesn't force the ball in in tight windows in it, like doesn't call that stupid pitch. We won't turn it over. Like the missed field goals happened, but the Jets and the Colts were two winnable games that I thought Man, if we just had somebody that was 100% focused on offense, we would have won that game. And I know it's just one game, but it's the difference between 0-16 and 1-15 and at this point. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And and what I thought happened kind of is at the beginning of the year, they put too much on his plate. Mm-hmm. He played fairly well in the preseason. Kaiser did. Then he played a pretty good week one against Pittsburgh, and then they dumped a lot of things on his plate. They kind of opened up the playbook. And then they saw, hey, this isn't kind of panning out for the kid. We need to reel it back. So I think that there are some things that, that – I just personally, this is how I view football. You need to do everything you can for a quarterback to help him out. Creative wrinkles, anything you can do that helps him get in a rhythm and get a feel for a football game so his confidence is flowing. And I just don't see it. Like, I don't, I'm not to say Hugh Jackson doesn't call touchdown plays. That's not what I'm trying to do. Like, if you watch last week, I made a cut up of Josh Gordon's seven catches. And, and, I mean, there are touchdown balls that should happen there. There's no doubt. And I'm Mm -hmm. not, I don't like placing the blame on any one person for everything because in football, it's so dependent on the man next to you. 11 on 11 plus coach. I know, yeah. Absolutely. So I think that I'm not saying that Hugh is responsible for for every single loss, but again, I point to the fact that is he doing everything he can to help his quarterback, his offense, his defense to to point them in the right direction to win games? And I don't see enough of that. Does that mean I say, hey, you know, if they brought Bill Belichick to Cleveland, they were going to be, you know, nine and three? I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I think that there are games that they have lost that they should have won. And those win-loss records, yeah, while it's being ignored by the franchise, the whole win-loss helps people show tangible progress. Like if Hugh Jackson were 4-8 and eight right now, I would feel like, okay, they've taken the necessary steps in yeah. year two to improve this roster. So I, it's just it's little things. It's the way he talks to the media. It's the things that get out. It's, it's a culmination of a lot of different things. And I don't think yeah. that Hugh Jackson is a dumb man. Like that guy knows more about football than I'll ever, you know, he's, he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. But right. I do think that there's a process by which he's failed getting his best players on the field and giving his team the best chance to win on a weekly basis. Yeah, and and you nailed it with setting up for your quarterback, right? Like Deshaun Kaiser was a second-round pick. The odds were already stacked against him considering what we had on offense for him. And it just doesn't feel like Hugh Jackson has taken enough necessary steps. You know, a lot of argument can be made for, oh, and, and this is something that you see from a lot of the non-Browns followers. They'll say, well, you passed on Deshaun Watson. What if the Browns had Deshaun Watson right now? And I think you pointed out earlier today, like, okay, if if Wentz was here, we'd be better, yes. But, like, if Watson was here, Watson would be struggling with this offense. Bill O'Brien constructed an offense at Houston that allowed Deshaun Watson to succeed. And that's what you have to do in today's NFL. Instead, we're trying to reinvent the wheel, and it's like, you're going to be taking these quarterbacks Set them up to win. Don't force them to learn on the job. Like I, They have to learn enough already. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that you nailed it. Bill O'Brien came from Penn State. He knew what was familiar with Deshaun Watson and Clemson. Mm-hmm. So they brought him in. They have two guys on the outside that we just don't have, and I don't, and I don't hide from that fact. Yeah, you know, oh yeah. They had Will Fuller who can, who can flat out burn, and then they have Denarius you know, Hopkins who can who can. Who can probably make a contention for being the rest, best receiver in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. So some of those things with Watson, you know, if you actually sit down and break down Watson's tape, which I, I watch every one of his games because I have intriguing interest in him and Wentz. So I try to watch as many as I can. So if we get into these discussions, I can have at least an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, Deshaun Watson made some really good rookie plays. He made some really good pocket maneuverability plays, but he also made a lot of questionable throws. And his turnover-worthy throw percentage was egregiously high. So the numbers that he saw were pretty inflated. Not only were those numbers inflated, but he, like you said, he was playing in a system that worked for him. They're doing almost 90% of what they did was from the gun. They're doing a lot of similar jet orbit motion stuff, some behind him, some in front of him, true triple option things that he was comfortable with. The types of throws were very eerie to college, you know, system mm-hmm. type throws, long, deep, vertical routes that come off of pin down play action schemes with your tight end 
all those things, if you cut on the first seven games of Deshaun Watson's football career in, in, in Houston and you look at his senior year at Clemson, you're going to see a lot of similarities. I don't think if you draft him at 12, Cleveland takes him at 12, you see those similarities. Do I, I, I don't think he was you know, immune to the ability to transform his offense for somebody, but I also have not seen that ability from him. So why am I to believe that Watson would be as good in Cleveland as he is in Houston? We wouldn't view him the same way. I know that that's obviously second chance thinking here, but like I just don't think that you can actually have a fair assessment of that being a true thing. I think Carson Wentz is obviously Carson Wentz under center or in the gun. I mean, Philly with Flip and Reich are getting the best out of that kid because they're giving him some RPO, they're giving him some traditional oh, yeah. NFL things. Mm-hmm. They're doing the right stuff for him, but like, I'll let you say Wentz should be here. I'm all about that. I think that was an indefensible miss. Um, you know, if you put yourself in situational thinking at the time, you can understand where the Browns were coming from because of the evaluations of Wentz at the time. Not everybody, this kid wasn't a lot coming out of, you know, college where he came out of at the, at the FCS level. So, I get where the Browns are coming from. I'm not going to let him slide on wins, but I'm not going to sit here and say Deshaun Watson is anything similar to what we have here. And not, not saying the skill isn't the same, but what we're seeing from him is not the same that you would see in Cleveland, and the reasons are very clear. Yeah, and you know what? That was one of the reasons why I was willing to give Sashi one more draft, because I was like, look, let him go get a quarterback with that pick he required from Houston. And all of a sudden, you're saying, well, he ended up getting the quarterback. It just took a little bit longer, but obviously Jimmy wasn't waiting uh, waiting around for that. So it's a frustrating day because, you know, it's any time that we're faced with, like, this big decision, right? Like, this happens, it seems like, biannually now, and it's just it's just a frustrating day. What do you see going forward with the Browns from now and the, you know, the January time when it comes time to, like, hiring people? Is anyone else going? Uh, you know, Andrew Barry seems to be, like, an all-star here, but... Paul D. Podesta, you know, maybe he he might be gone if we're ditching the analytical route. Is Hugh Jackson going to be here in August 2018, or is the new GM going to want to go elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, we're all playing the conjecture game at this point. I, I don't think anybody has a clear idea. I do think they would be really misguided to let Andrew Barry go. I think he's as good as they have. They come right now. He should get an increased role. And if they actually hired him as general manager, I think that would be a home run. I, I, mm-hmm. I think I talked to Pete, Pete a little bit about that today. The, guy, the guy's the superstar that they have right now. Yeah. I don't want to let him slip away. Um, Deep Podesta, I don't know. I've heard rumblings that he might be out at the end of the season organically. He was looking to, to change course. So I, I don't I don't know about those two. I do I do know I would like to see them both back, but I don't I don't know. I think Hugh is here. I think rumblings I've heard is that, that he has sat down with, with Jimmy lately and they decided that, that, you know, after long discussions that this is Hugh's team. It seems like it's his organization. They're gonna hire somebody whether that's John Dorsey, the old Kansas City um, GM, where they're going to mm-hmm. hire him and, and, and lockstep with you, they're going to make the decisions going forward. They're going to, you know, they're going to be in charge of the biggest offseason we've had in some time. Uh, but I would expect to see Hugh as your head coach. They'll bring somebody in as the offensive coordinator. They'll lockstep his GM in and with him, and uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll see that in the future. And what does that mean? Does that does that mean good or bad? I I don't know. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it could be yeah. better than they could win. They, they have so many picks and so much cap. That they can use. Not that they. I think that that's a misconception that they don't spend. That they have so much cap. That's not the case necessarily. They dumped out 186 million dollars for their roster this year. Yeah. Is, which is you know a little known fact. They spend, but they have more money to spend. The ability to spend. So the pieces are there. 
And I think that's in large part, unfortunately, because of Sashi's plan. So maybe the guys they bring in, I don't, I try to be optimistic. Maybe the guys that they bring in and you, you know, hand in hand with them can nail the picks and, and we can come out of this offseason with a chance to compete. I do think it is for Josh Rosen um, lock now. I think that that's, you know, the leaking of that is, is, is right in line with what he likes in a quarterback. So, you know, I, I'm a big Baker Mayfield guy, but I don't I don't see them spending that pick on Baker Mayfield. I would be very surprised if they go with anybody other than Josh Rosen at the top of the draft. I don't know how the fit is with Josh Rosen and Cleveland and, and Hugh Jackson's demeanor about all of that, but that is what I expect. Um, so, you know, I hope, I hope that kind of answers the question. I, I think that, you, again, you see somebody locked uh, hand-in-hand with you as the GM. Hopefully they keep Andrew Barry. I think DePodesta's gone, but I, I certainly think Hugh is here. He's kind of the driving force behind everything. I, I agree with uh, with your takes on who's going to be here and who's going to be gone. I kind of do think Paul DePodesta is going to be one of those quote-unquote mutual departures, but um, you know, it seemed like he was a Sashi guy, and Andrew Barry is more of just like a no. That we know what he is, and we know he needs to be here. I, I, I would love to see them hire him as the GM because it would just mean a little bit more stability, and I've been wanting that. Um, it's funny, you know, that you said it's Hugh's team because it's becoming pretty obvious that Jimmy Haslam loves Hugh and he's willing to make it Hugh's team. Uh, that's like an inside-out way of doing things. You know, Hugh said in his presser he doesn't think that there's one way to do things. But as we've seen here, we've been we've been with the Browns longer than Hugh has. Hugh's closer, obviously, but we've seen so much more. And the Browns trying to reinvent the wheel just because they don't know how to make it roll is is the frustrating part we kind of see. So I'm with you there. And um, with that being said, hopefully they do figure things out this offseason. Before I let you go, I want to cheer things up a little bit. Uh, Every one of my guests I bring on, I ask a couple Christmas questions. So you ready to go? Let's do it. Okay, I want your favorite Christmas movie. Christmas movie? Oh, man, I'm a Home Alone guy. Yeah. I I grew up on Home Alone. There there are probably better choices out there, but that's my every year go-to. Yeah, it's not best. It's favorite, so so that's fine. Like, I get ripped because my favorite movie is The Negotiator, but it's not the best movie, so uh, I'm okay with that choice at Home Alone. Original or two, Lost in New York? I'm a big fan of two. Okay, Um, me too. Probably another unpopular opinion, but I I like two a lot more. Okay, that's great. No, okay. Um, What's your favorite uh, Christmas tradition? Christmas tradition? Um... We, we always do Christmas cookies, which were a big day. I didn't come from an overly religious family, mm-hmm. um, so we didn't really go to church like Christmas Eve or anything like that. But uh, we always did Christmas cookies growing up, and we do them with my nephews now. And wife and I are about to have our first child in March. So oh, congratulations. Hey, thank you. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, uh, my favorite tradition, and uh, this is pretty different from a lot of people, and that's why it's my favorite, is every Christmas morning we wake up, we unwrap presents, and we hit the road. I live in Spring Lake, New Jersey, and... It's a seven-plus-hour drive to Youngstown, where my dad is from, and we spend the entire day on the road driving out there. There's no one else on the road. Each lunch is usually a Burger King or a Starbucks or whatever we can find on the side of the PA Turnpike. And by the time we get to Ohio, we are at my Aunt Kathy's, where my dad's seven brothers and sisters are there with all their kids, and we get to just see our cousins. So my favorite, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I've done it every year for... Except for one year when my sister was born, I've done it every year of my 28 years. So, uh, pretty pretty excited about that again in a month. Um, last two questions. Uh, this is a big one. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? 
I, I stand on the yes. I stand mm-hmm. on the fact that we shouldn't tell people what to think. So if you want it to be a Christmas movie, run with it. If it's not, that's cool too. I do think it's a Christmas movie because it centers around the time of year. Okay. All right. That's three to one for all my Jake fan listeners. Uh, for all the Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, you need more to support because right now it's three to one in the Die Hard is a Christmas movie fact. Last question. Um, I know you're new to the podcast and uh, I appreciate you coming on. One thing you don't know is that my one of my biggest fans is Santa Claus himself. He listens. What would you like for Christmas? I am saving up for a new computer, so if he could produce me a new MacBook Pro, I would be a, a big fan of Santa this year. Yeah, yeah. You know what? He's the man. I know he likes to set up his buddies. So uh, if you stay on the nice list, uh, maybe he'll be able to help you out. <laughs> so listen, Jake. I really appreciate you coming on, man. I love the Monday film sessions. It, it's hard for me to get work done when I'm going through all that, but you know what? It's it's really great. You've done a great job at waiting for next year. What would you like to plug uh, on your way out? Not just my Twitter account. If people want to follow along, I don't really do anything crazy um, outside of that. I write for, as you said, waitingfornextyear.com, big independent blog up in Cleveland. Um, great site, great content across all three all three sports. Uh, just if you want to follow, like you said, I do a lot of film breakdowns, a lot of draft analysis, which would be big this year. Uh, it's just at Jake underscore Burns 18. Um, but that's about it, man. Hopefully we see this thing turn around. Yeah, it, that would be nice. Uh, that's all I want for Christmas is like a win this year and, uh, we'll worry about, you know, the next year stuff next year, I guess. Uh, appreciate it a lot, Jake. All right. Take care, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Thanks.